Hello, and welcome to episode 26, take three of Matches in the Other Guy, <laughs> because we've had a couple of technical problems. First of all, we had an airplane flying overhead, which, Kevin, you didn't like that, did you? Uh, I said, let's, let's leave it out. I, I did the anti-rover plant thing. Yes, and then uh, the second time we didn't have a stopwatch running, so we didn't know how long the episode was going to be running for. However, take three is going to be the one. We do have a stopwatch, and if any airplanes come across now, we're sticking with them. Oh yeah, third time's a charm. Yeah, so where were we? Uh, yes, Kevin and I sit outside my home in Lake Wiley, as ever. Uh, it's not very warm today, Kevin. No, the chill has come in. I've got an overcast day. Yeah. Um, we're kind of supposed to have a little little wetness this week. It's not too bad. I mean, considering, no. it'd be a lot worse. But, but we are bright and sunny in temperament, as always, aren't we? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We, we're here to bring joy and sunshine to your day. Okay, so as ever, I never know what subject we're going to be talking about. Not that it ever really matters, because very, very rarely do we stay on target for more than about a minute. But what should we be talking about today? All right, well, going back, in very early episodes, we touched a little bit on music in that we talked about first concerts. Yeah. But there's so much in music we can talk about. I thought today we talk about our first albums. Oh, first albums? Yeah. Well, how about that? Because um, when you stopped our recording for the first time because the airplane flew overhead, I said, no, let's leave it, doing the Robert Plant voice from, I'm sure it was physical graffiti, when Led Zeppelin did exactly the same with their sound engineer. Yeah, so, okay, well, one of my first and greatest albums uh, that I, I still listen to on a regular basis, although not on vinyl any longer, is Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin. I think that's a wonderful album. How about you? What was your or first or one of the most memorable albums? You know, I was really trying to, to figure out when I would have gotten my first one. It, I don't think it was something I went out and bought. I think it was like a gift. Um, I was probably, let's say, eight, maybe nine years old, and I got Kiss's Love Gun. Wow. And I think that might be the first one. Um, it was My aunt gave it to me. It was around my birthday, so it was a birthday gift. I remember that. Yeah. So I opened that as a gift. And then it's... It was just, for some reason, all that early stuff was Kiss. Yeah. I had that. I had, I'm not counting the 45s. I get a 45 now and again. But uh, I had Ace Frehley's solo album. And another uh, friend of the family, they had a son kind of a little older than me. And, and he gave me a live two uh, out of his collection. So I kind of just started getting them that way. Alive you know, 2 is Kiss now? Kiss Alive right, 2, yeah, right, double, right. double album. Okay. So my earliest stuff was just Kiss, and I can't remember which one was the actual first one yeah. I held in my hand and owned. But from an early age, you say eight or nine? Oh, yeah, eight or nine. Oh. Yeah, that was right when Kiss was breaking big and everybody was into them. And yeah. So then we were trying to garner anything related to them we could, and I first started building a music collection. Yes, I don't think my album music collection started that early in life. Um... I'm going to add at least another four or five years onto that, about, you know, I don't know, 12, 13, somewhere about that, I think, when I started buying albums. Um, we had, a, we had a, a wonderful music shop in Loughborough, a vinyl music shop in Loughborough called Castle, Castle Records. And it was there in the little shopping precinct for years. And that was the place all my friends and I went to to buy an album once a week with our pocket money or our first money from work would be to Castle. Because I don't know how they managed to do it back then in the 70s, but they seemed to get a very good deal on 
their album prices and they were the cheapest place to buy albums in Loughborough hence the hence the wonderful appeal to all my all my colleagues and friends uh, because they were the cheapest place in town to buy music from hey yeah that's a rule of retail if you're going to be the lowest price you're going yes. to bring and, your customers um, in so every week or near pretty much every week I would buy an album as would buy my friends and they were put into uh, a, a Castle Records plastic bag and I think up until fairly recently, I think when I was moving my possessions out of my home in France to move over to the States full time, I think there was still some Castle Records plastic bags in use. So they were, you know, they would most definitely recycled for many decades. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, I didn't build up a big, huge collection. I never went like once a week or anything like that. It was right. it was always, they were kind of, you know, hard to come by the money at, at age eight or nine to, <laughs> to course, buy anything yeah, like that. Absolutely. So it was always that. had to be trading with friends or, again, birthday money. And then, uh, too, I remember buying the cutouts, which were like, they were lesser priced. Uh, they were like albums that had, you know, kind of gone past their popularity or something like that. And they call them cutouts because I, I believe this is correct. They would nip the edge of the record sleeve. The cardboard, really? they'd make a little notch on it, and that showed it was in the discount bin, so you couldn't return it as a full price uh, thing. So I remember I had some some notched sleeves, outer ones, but I didn't g- gain a whole lot. I remember first one I might have bought was maybe uh, Monkey Mania, the Monkees. Yeah, okay. and of course by then it was a compilation album. Their time had already really been. Yeah, but I always liked them. I liked watching the show, and I liked their music. And sure. So I bought this double album. That one I still have. Do you? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to say, well, that, that, you, you collect a lot of things, so that, in a way, is not that surprising to me. Oh yeah, yeah. There's some yeah. things I have let go as far as, as far as the music. Yes, uh, I used to like buying albums very, very much. And back then, I know we're all showing our age, but we do tend to go back in time when we have these conversations. Of course, the album sleeve and the art of the album sleeve, especially a Dublin album, was so important to, oh, yeah. to the quality of the finished product, wasn't it? I mean, that told the story, yeah, that's, really, that's what the album was going to be about. An essence that is, is long lost now. Yes, it's, it's a tragedy, that. but that's the way the world works. Media changes, and uh, with the introduction of CDs, although CDs have gone by the way now, of course, they were much smaller in size, and therefore mm-hmm. the art needed to be much smaller in size. And now, so much of the music is purely digital, downloaded digital, that the, the album's notes the album sleeves have almost ceased to be I think haven't they really pretty much yeah you, yeah. yeah you download the music so you never have anything physical to look at yeah and I do remember I mean there was such an important part of the process that albums like the Pink Floyd album Wish You Were Here when it had the postcards and things included with the albums you know were, were, were such a valuable thing to have and as we've chatted about before both of us used to take great care of all of our possessions and I took great care of the the postcard which came with Wish You Were Here, which if you remember was the guy, it looked like he was diving into a lake and his his torso and legs was were out of the lake yeah. as if he was just caught yeah. mid-dive into, into the lake. And I remember many years later reading of the, the, the photo process that happened to produce that. Of course, it was all pre any computer involvement with that. And so they had an athlete holding on to effectively a frame or a Zimmer frame under the water and doing a handstand for as long oh, okay. as possible to get the water to settle. Because the idea was there was no ripples on the water oh, where he, he was when just he perfectly the water. coming so, in. Okay. Yes, they had to 
<laughs> go over and over and over to get it. But wow, just wonderful things like that. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, prime example of that same thing was that Kiss Love Gun album. It came with a little uh, cardboard gun. It was like I think it was like in a, in a, like a half, and you would you would I guess punch it out maybe and then fold it. Okay. And it had a little tissue thing, and, and you would hold it, and when you whipped it with your wrist, it would make the thing pop out. It said bang or something like that. And it was oh, like cool. pop. You know, you'd have to reset it each time. Yeah. But uh, I always had that with it. I can't. I think I did use it a, a couple of times. You know, normally you, know, you look back and you go, never punch it out. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I know. I, but yes, uh, it was in there till till the last day I had it. Let's put it that way. Yes. And then some albums, like I, I mentioned, the Ace Frehley solo album, it came. And this was with all the all the uh, four band members. It came with uh, their al- the album sleeve. I think was kind of generic in that it would have the four. Uh, album sleeves of all of them, so the same oh, sleeve was in each. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. You know, each one had a cover okay. that was their own, and so I think the inner sleeve was the the quad of those on each side. But each of them came with a poster that it was a quad folded, so you'd fold it out. You know, it'd be four panels folded out, and they were had on one end, or depending on which one you had, they had strange little notches like a half circle or a or a diamond shape or or half a diamond like a triangle i guess it would be and when you when you got the whole collection you could paste them together and they'd make one long banner oh oh, so it's an incentive again to get all of them so it came with a poster the inner sleeve like all the albums came and then it also came with a order form for merchandise related to just that one band member like if i had the ace frehley one you could order an ace frehley necklace a button uh, poster of just his album cover, or you could order <coughs> wow. the one poster of all four. But if you got the Gene Simmons, it was going to have Gene Simmons merchandise yeah, in it. Yeah, and it was just an area. I think I think that was around '78. They did those. I, I could be wrong, but that sounds about right. It was right in that era, I think, wasn't it? The '70s, the mid '70s, were when so many great albums were made in terms of contemporary rock and rock albums. But also, it was that absolute pinnacle, I think, of the record notes and the record sleeves was yep. right there. Yes, and talking of um, Led Zeppelin, I remember In Through the Outdoor by Led Zeppelin had a very collectible inner sleeve. We may have chatted about this. I don't know. I think know. we might. We I definitely talked yes, about it. Yes, I don't know. I remember if we, we did it on air or not. Exactly that. So let's repeat the story because in the, maybe the listener hasn't heard this, but the inner sleeve of In Through the Outdoor was, was impregnated with colored dots. I remember those in coloring books as a child where you just wash over them with a wet brush and the color on the little little pockets of paint effectively underneath the page would come to the surface. So just with one wet brush, if you just went over it, it would become a multicolored oh, okay. piece of artwork. It's yeah. very, actually yeah. very cool technology. Um, but in through the outdoor had that on the sleeve. and. Again, in our desire to take great care and protection of all things, I never coloured mine in. Um, unfortunately, I've lost the album now, but I have seen that album cover. I'm sure if we looked online, I'm sure there would be oh, yeah. examples of it painted, you know, or painted with water to bring out the colours. But I do remember being very impressed with that. So as you were going each week and, and buying albums, which other bands and stuff, were you, what were you buying? All of Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd... Deep Purple, Deep Purple made in Japan, I remember, was a was a big album to have with my colleagues, at, my friends at school. The Made in Japan album, which would have been, I want to say that was about 1971, 72. Okay. Um, double album, and I think they were, uh, uh, it would be great to say there were four tracks on it, you know, one for each side of the album. 
of each of the two discs, but I think there were actually, if I remember right, there were five tracks on that. So the Deep Purple live tracks went on for a long while. And the one thing I remember most particularly about Deep Purple and also that album uh, made in Japan was a track called Child in Time. And it starts off with the lyrics almost being spoken. Um, and one of, one of my friends at school, in our English class, we were all charged with writing a poem. And we must bring in the poem for the next English class. I think my, I know where this might be got headed. My, yes, absolutely. So my friend copied the lyrics from, from Child in Time. Uh, and I think he got a B minus for it, so <laughs> it gives a reflection on, on the quality of the lyrics on that. Yes, I always remember that. The teacher decided that Deep Purple's uh, artistic <laughs> it was wasn't okay. quite top notch, but it was okay. up there, but not, not quite top notch. <laughs> that's, that's right, it was okay. So, how about you? Kiss we've heard about. How yeah, well, then, uh, I mean, actually, I was thinking this kind of leads into probably the last album I got as an album. And what happened was, as we got into junior high, I think they might have done this both years I was in junior high. There was, I guess, a company that came, and I remember going to a, a assembly in the gym, and they would have the table and the speaker, and they'd have all these like cardboard, big square cardboards of the latest albums, you know, out front, taped to the front, you know, nicely done. But yeah, and what it was was a presentation. They were going to get us to sell magazines subscriptions as a promotional thing for, I guess, the school, a fundraiser. Okay. And as you did them, you you got the more you sold, the more you got, you get music you know you could order you know if you got x amount sold you could order an album yeah. or more you could order two or whatever uh, i guess cassettes that's a great idea so i still remember doing that i think the last album i got as an album was the best of blondie yes okay but that leads into the next thing my first foray into cassettes because i guess the next year probably eighth grade they came back did the same thing and i was able to earn enough to uh, get two things, and I will always say each year I, I subscribe to BMX Plus magazine, so I was always customer number one anyway. So I got mom to spring for a, a subscription to BMX Plus magazine. So um, I ordered my first ever cassettes, which were The Go Go's Beauty and the Beat, yeah, and Asia's first album. Okay, yeah, which I think was self titled, the one with the dragon coming out of the water. I think it was just Asia. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. heat yeah. of the I moment. Can see that. I can see the drawing now. Yep. So those were my my first two cassettes. Yes. Well, I, I was never that into buying cassettes, but what I used to do, and I think we may have chatted about this before, we would buy blank cassettes and then record our albums straight onto cassette tape to, in order to preserve the vinyl yes. as much yeah, as possible. Yeah, I never mentioned that. Yeah. And you had to have at least a nice, some sort of system that worked well to oh, do yes. that. You yeah. know, it was one thing that my friends and I, we didn't have an awful lot of money, but the one thing we really splurged on, if we could possibly afford it, was our hi-fi equipment we were all really into music yeah and so i remember all my early jobs you know part-time jobs as a kid i would save and save and save and and buy a, an amp and then buy some speakers and you know we, yeah. we really liked that it was it was one thing we all we all really enjoyed but in terms of cassettes the one cassette i do remember buying and only because of its collectability was by a band called Bow Wow Wow. Does that name ring a bell with you? Oh, yeah. I, wa I Want Candy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And one of Bow Wow Wow's early uh, releases was C30, C60, C90 Go. 
which for those who may not be familiar with cassettes is the, is the length of time of a cassette would run, C30, C60 and C90 tapes, I remember that yep. specifically. And we always had to buy C90 tapes to record an album because the 30 minute tape and the 60 minute tape were just not enough yep. to get the I album. I kind of remember that part. Yes, yeah. it just not, and the quality it? of the tape isn't as good on the longer ones right. because it's stretched out over because a longer... It's, well, it's a much thinner tape exactly. to, to fit into the standard spool you know you couldn't change the physical size of the cassette the only way you could do it to increase the length of the tape was to use thinner tape and yep. therefore it used to stretch you're right yeah and it was just like anything else you could buy you know your memorex or you could buy the store yes. brand you know and you're you're paying for quality huh? you're paying for quality yeah i seem to remember tiac was the was one of the best tapes we could get hold of those were um, stereo systems i remember Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure they... T-E-A-C. Yes, I'm yeah. pretty sure they used to produce tape as they well. They probably did. I just don't recall um, that, You know, I've got that in my mind anyway. But And I had that tape, the uh, Bow Wow Wow, Malcolm McLaren, Bow Wow Wow, C30, C60, C90 Go tape. I had that for a, for a long while. But again, unfortunately, it disappeared in fairly recent years. Now, I will say that, you know, when I had these... Uh, early Kiss albums when I was, you know, again, eight, nine, whatever. I was literally playing them on the little child's suitcase record player that you, you know, you yes. open up and yes. you know, did the most basic thing. Yes. But it's what I had. Dan Set, I think they were known as in England. I don't know what the. I don't know. Mine, mine had giraffes and elephants on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it worked, right? But it, it played, music came out of it. And then later, when I, when I did get down to Florida and kind of, you know, like sixth grade, seventh grade, dad let me have his. Small stereo set, which wasn't anything special. It had a turntable, a tuner, and two speakers. So there yeah. was no cassette in it. You know, you couldn't record off of it anyway. And it was by no means anything special. But I had it in my room, and I could play what vinyl I had or tune into the radio stations. And that was enough for whatever, because again, I was always off doing something anyway, or, you know, had the TV on a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, and, and it's me mentioning you know, getting a better system. I'm jumping a few years, but I still remember we had a store uh, down there. People will remember these stores called Service Merchandise. Okay. And I w- it was actually between our house and the mall, kind of like just on your way out there was a Service Merchandise on the right. And I'd stopped in, and they had a techniques system, a rack system, but it was, it was all put together. It wasn't oh, like okay. separate pieces, so yeah. it wasn't really top quality stuff but it's far better than what I had right and I was so excited because they had a system where they would mark it down every week by it might have been 10% or 20% or something like that yes and I decided on the next round when it gets to whatever I'm going so I was so excited that day when the minute I got out of school I bolted into jumped in the car Zoomed over to service merchandise and I still remember walking down that aisle and just seeing the blank space where that, oh. was, that was sitting and I was so Somebody just beat you to it. Downhearted, and I just got ugh, the wind taken out of the sails. <laughs> if somebody had gotten it, but you know, you snooze, you lose. Sometimes that's all right. There's a lesson in life for you there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. say every every failure offers a learning experience, and uh, well, you let that one get away. We used to go to a place. It was called Comet Comet Warehouse, which is fundamentally electronics equipment, a little bit like Best Buy, I guess. Uh, Best Buy, to my to my best of my knowledge certainly didn't exist on the other side of the Atlantic in England we used to go to this place called Comet and I think Comet also used to have catalogues I do remember and my friends at school would flick through the catalogues and look at the different decks and look at the different speakers and the different amps and the difference between belt drive decks and um, direct drive decks 
and the direct dive drive decks used to have a little stroboscope so you could you could vary the speed of the motor and so you could absolutely set it spot on 33 and a third for albums mm. and you know now in the benefit of hindsight and being a grumpy old man I'm thinking he's probably made no no difference whatsoever but we always wanted a direct dive drive deck if you could get one that was the one to have for sure yeah well, some of the, uh, I can tell you where some of those first albums went. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is where Love Gun ended up, and that just, just jarred my memory. I also had Paul Stanley's uh, solo album, so I had Ace and Paul Stanley's albums. And I must have had something else, maybe, but one of the kids in the neighborhood had an older brother, and this was, we were just starting to get into the idea of getting into skateboarding. Yes. And they were the family that had had, had all that cool stuff back even in the 70s, so they still kind of had it around and stuff. And I traded some of those Kiss albums to his older brother for my first real good skateboard. It was a, a, a GNS, an old Woody from the 70s, okay. a little thin one. Okay. But I think I got it. I can't remember if I got the trucks with it or not. Now that I think about it, it might have just been the deck. But anyway, I, that's how some of them found their way to a new home. I uh, was trading with him in well, probably 1983, somewhere in there. Maybe 84, <laughs> 83, 84. Probably 83. Yeah. But yeah, so those, those are now... At least I know where they went, some of them. But it started by skateboarding, which we've discussed on yeah. here a few times. One thing leads on to another. Well, that's fantastic. I do remember now, you know, as always, when we stop talking about any subject, memories start to come back to me of amusing little stories or things that I'd almost forgotten. I do remember one of my school friends. I mean, to an extent, we kind of put him up to it. We egged him on to do it. I, I won't give his name because he probably doesn't want me to. But he took his, his copy of wish you were here back to castle records to complain that there must be something wrong with it <laughs> right because those i think those who are familiar with wish you were here are now already thinking i know exactly where this story is going just before the track wish you for here wish you were here starts on the album there's, there's an odd sort of a radio being tuned in effect and the quality of the rate the quality of the the recording seems to drop right down uh -huh. as if there's something wrong and then the acoustic guitar comes in and I, you know, I remember us all sort of egging our friend on saying you know definitely take that back there's something wrong we should definitely take it back yes yes there's something wrong with it <laughs> and then going through the sort of embarrassment of the chap that owned Castle Records who put up with young kids in his shop but I don't think he was ever overly pleased yeah. with his being there but you know hey we were his customers he put the record on his deck and listened to it, and then he had to go through the embarrassment of a friend of saying, there's nothing wrong with this, this is the album. <laughs> yes, oh dear, oh dear. We oh dear. had, uh, you know, being in, in the small town, like I said, back when we talked about bikes and stuff, we could bike pretty much anywhere. I couldn't bike out to the mall. I mean, I could, it's eight miles, but there was always a record bar out there in the mall, right. which is a national chain. And then we had, a, we had one um, in one of the strip malls. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was just a smaller independent, I'm sure owned a record shop and we'd bike over there and flip through you know their, their selections yeah. and stuff like that and again I didn't buy that much but I knew some, some of my friends that got their first Van Halen 1984 there and talking about embarrassing moments at Castle Records I also had to go through an embarrassing learning curve at Castle Records where I was longing to get hold of Vangelis Pulsar the album and my friends wouldn't tell me the name of the album uh, or the artist but we were playing this track at a friend's house and I said I really like that it's electronic music but it's very early and um, I got the tune 
like earworm in my mind and couldn't let go of it. And I thought, I've got to get hold of that album, but my friends wouldn't tell me what it was. We're so mean to each other. No. I don't know why we would have to do this. So I thought, I'm going to, I'm, I've got to get hold of it. I'm going to get hold of it. So I went down to Castle Records again with my friends on a Saturday afternoon and went in to see the Castle Records man. It was, we always used to call him the Castle Records man. And I said, I'm looking for a particular album that's come out fairly recently. Um, but I don't know the name of it, I don't know the artist. And he said, well, what sort of music is it? I said, well, I can kind of hum it for you if you want. That's like <laughs> That's telling a mechanic what, what sound your car is making. <laughs> so I gave him a few bars of Pulsar, you know, boom, 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 boom. But he said, that, I think that's Pulsar by Vangelis. Here's the album. See you next week. It was one of those. <laughs> Dear old Castle Records, man. I mean, he must have been so annoyed with us. But... You know, there we go. I had a, we're jumping quite a number of years now, but I had the, the, almost the exact same thing happen in the mid 90s. I'd moved to DC, or, well, you know, lived in Maryland, but uh, worked just outside of DC. And I kept hearing this song on the, the radio station I would listen to during the day. And I, I really liked it. And I was like, it's same situation. I never heard him tell me who it was. <laughs> right, right. But I knew you know, the, the war, some of the lyrics and stuff. So uh, we had Best Buy there. We didn't have any Best Buy you know, from where I moved from. We didn't have them in Knoxville. But I went down to, to Best Buy, and I run into this you know, guy working there. And um, I kind of went, went through it with him. And he said, he said, I think that's the Sundays. It so- sounds just like that's what. And he, he, brought, he, he brought me over to their album, flipped it over. And uh, showed him, you know, what he thought the song was. Okay. And he said, "Here's what, here's what you need to do." He said, "If you go up this, you know, little pike, there's a, uh, a record store up there, and they'll let you listen. They'll let you listen to what they have in stock. Yeah. Whereas we can't do that. And um, oh, so go up there. So and that to way it. you confirm it what it is. So I was like, all right, I'll give that a shot. So I drove up, and the one that they had, they sold new, used and new, and okay. the only one they had was new. Yeah. But they would let you open it." at this little more independent place. Okay. And I put it in the little player they had there, and I listened to it, and I said, that was it. Well, I ended up buying it from them because I'd opened their stock, obviously. Yes. It was the only fair thing yeah. to do. So I bought it from them. But well, remember, well done, you. Yeah, and I got back to the office uh, you know, sometime that next week, and I wrote a nice letter to the manager at Best Buy yeah. saying, you know, what a great service this guy what what wonderful customer service he yeah, he provided yeah, sure. you know i said i really don't know his name I, I said he had shoulder length hair and tattoos on both arms but i just wanted to you know say you know it's good to see some conscientious employees and customer service these days yeah. and such well i pop in best buy maybe a month later or something like that for whatever and the same guy sees me and he all he does is just point at me and goes you wrote the letter <laughs> and i went Yep, and he's like, "That's awesome." He said, "My my uh, manager called me into his office. I didn't know what I was being called in for, and he gave me a nice compliment, read me the read me your email, and, and gave me a gift certificate to the store." So <laughs> well, that's I was fantastic. Like, hey. You know, see, good service does pay, and and now, without realizing it, all these years later, we've just given them a plug through what we're doing today. Exactly. I mean, or, or it sticks with you. Matched in the other guy. We never expected to be plugging Best Buy, but well done, Best Buy. Well, at least this from, gentleman was. You yeah. know, he was great 25 years ago. Now, can you remember at any time? I'm, I'm guessing the answer to this is going to be no, but maybe. You know, America is different to England. Did you ever go into a record store where you could go into the booths and listen to the albums if you asked for? No. Did they? Did they? I've, I've, I've heard of those and we've seen them, but yeah. there wasn't anything. No, and I can't remember. They were just before my time getting into music. I do. But remember, it makes good sense. I, mean, I do remember it. I've seen them on the TV in the 1960s and probably just into the 1970s. 
but I can never remember going in and listening to an album. I mean, occasionally, yes, when we went into Castle Records, the very obliging Castle Records man would put an album on for us. Well, that begs the question, too. I wonder if it was pre-60s or maybe early 60s. Maybe they didn't shrink wrap them then. Maybe they came where you could slide, like you weren't opening it to listen to it. You weren't breaking the seal. Yeah, were all they your, would just right, let were you your open albums it. in the States, were they all shrink wrapped? Yeah, from, from my memory, they were. Really? not Because yeah. I can't remember that. I mean, occasionally we would come across a shrink-wrapped album, but it was... I remember it them was, all, all being sealed. Really? Yeah. Now, the 45s were different. They were just always in just a little little paper sleeve. Yes. Yeah. And when you bought a 45, did it have the spindle centerpiece in? Yep. Or, you know, they no. never did. None of them did. None that I can recall. Yeah. Yeah, you always had the little yellow ones that you bought in some sort of pack. Dad had them, so I never had to buy any. I just yeah. remember he had a little stash of them, and that was more than I ever needed. So I never had to, to buy them. But ours were always little, the little yellow ones. Yes. and I ask because, again, our different experiences on opposite sides of the Atlantic, 99% of the singles, 45s, that we would buy were always made just for the, let, let's call it a six mil spindle shaft, because that's about what it was, a quarter of an inch or something like that. But it didn't have the, what was it close to, 25 mil, like an inch and a quarter or something, yep. the hole in the middle of a single. Yep. Very, very rarely we would we'd come across one of those, but typically the vast majority were made just for that quarter inch spindle shaft. Mm-hmm. Well, too, I remember Dad, at least one of Dad's uh, turntables had the adapter thing you'd slide down and it would make it would make the instead of just the uh, the, the spindle spike sticking yeah, up, it yeah. would go around that, and it was the diameter for a forty-five. Yes. So no. you didn't have to put it in each one; you'd put it on there, and that would center the forty-five on it properly. No, and it was I'm, fairly thick, so you maybe could stack a couple of them on it. I'm going to ask the question. I'm I'm, I'm guessing that the answer to my question before I, before I ask it is jukeboxes were always designed that way but was it a, for, was it for jukeboxes I mean why why would albums be made just with a smaller hole for the quarter inch spindle shaft and the singles no I've never I've never worked on a jukebox or hardly ever used one so I'm yes. really not sure I mean the only time the only time I ever remember seeing those bigger holes in single singles being used was in was in a jukebox mm-hmm. and um Gentle listener, I know you're out there already thinking, Steve, Kevin, it's so obvious, it's blah, blah, blah. Do write in and tell us the answer to that. I guess we can look on Google and um, or Wikipedia and find it, but that has always been a little mystery. I've always thought it was for a jukebox, but again, that might explain, because you guys had so many more jukeboxes than we did on the other side. I mean, well, and two, they, they were you know kind of phasing out by by time I could recall stuff. But I remember it usually at a little pizza place when I was a kid, there would yeah. be a jukebox, but it wasn't the old... You know, ones you're going to see on Happy Days. That you could see the album moving across and it had the bubbles coming up. These were just more like, almost like chests. Yes. And you, you would like, you know, look down on it and yes. see all the stuff. So you never saw the mechanisms inside moving around. So I never, you just punch B3 or, you know, yeah. G5 or whatever. Yes. They get, were not really as exciting as the old ones where you oh, could they see any, the big... No crescent shape of singles moving around. To be honest, I don't, I don't even know why anybody would want one today. They're, they weren't good looking then, they're not good looking now, you know. <laughs> you know the old vintage ones, yes, yeah. they're beautiful, but these ones from, say, the you know, late 70s were nothing special. I guess they were either cheaper to make, I'm I, sure, probably, right, or they used to hold more selection. Yeah, there was pretty good there, size. There has to be a reason for them to exist there, right? But I remember, you know, you'd be at a pizza place and you'd always see something you wanted to listen to and you, Dad might feel indulgent that day and let you have a couple of quarters or not. Yes, and I do remember in my 
Auntie Phil's pub in Derby, there was a jukebox in there, but it was a wall-mounted jukebox, and then there obviously was a selection of records somewhere, but this was like it was like a remote a remote panel on the wall. I get. Okay. I mean, I've no, I've, yeah, there's no I room to hold anything. Yes, yeah, so I don't know why it didn't strike me at the time. Steve, where's the? Where are the records themselves? They must be here somewhere. I'm surprised I didn't go hunting around to try and find it, but I can't remember doing that. But I do remember distinctly this remote panel being on the wall to choose your particular track. Well, and let's go back to where they had the ones. Remember the ones that you've seen? You've seen them in movies or whatever, or, or nostalgic type uh, pieces or whatever. The ones that would sit on a diner diner's table. You'd be at a diner, and it would be the one that's yes. on the table. And I think those, did they tune into a radio? Did they, once you paid for it, it tuned into a radio station, and they, I, I, I'm, because there obviously no. was not records in those things. And somebody, again, is listening, going, yeah. no, 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 it was like this. I, but, well, I've, I, you know, I, I, my experience of the States is, is very brief in, in comparison to yours, of course it is. But I have been into a couple of old-fashioned diners and I've seen those jukeboxes like you described and they're usually on the booths against the walls yep. inside aren't they yeah but I, 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 I mean now obviously with modern technology there, there would be mp3 files in there just oh, yeah, yeah, you, you, you could have, right, have hundred thousand selections in yeah. one one thing but the size I, of a bread I, box I never thought about that it, it, I don't know it <sighs> seems like I heard somewhere some people like me listening going you're crazy but it seems like once you paid for it it sent a signal to somewhere and it allowed it to so Wolfman Jack would put the record on (laughs) (laughs) the diner would call Wolfman Jack or Billy down in the archives or something I don't know but it was like obviously had to come from somewhere and there wasn't (laughs) you know this technology of things coming across digitally Mm. by any stretch so again again I can hear our listener Given us that information. Seems like I saw one on Pawn Stars or something. They had it on there. They, maybe they delved into kind of how they worked or something. That's where I maybe picked that up. I don't know. Yeah. But definitely a, an interesting part of a bygone era, sitting down having a malt and pulling up Buddy Holly or... Yeah, I wish we had... Herman's we never, Hermits. See, we never had anything really like a, the diners on the other side of the Atlantic. We just, we just didn't have them. We had pubs, and you guys didn't really have pubs. You had something of the different you know we've talked about this before different cultures have different different things and i wish we would have had a, a, a we had cafes i suppose or cafes they were actually an english calf i suppose is the nearest thing to a diner but not really the same cool attraction of you know well do you recall uh kind of jumping genres again do you remember your first cd you ever bought yes it was sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band you remember the year, maybe? Well, uh, it must have been a, about 1987. And I'll tell you why that sticks in my mind. It's because I bought the CD on its release, because there was quite a fanfare about it being released on CD, but I never had a CD player to play it on. Oh, I remember you saying that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember buying the CD. If I've still got it, I'll take a photograph and we can put it either on Twitter or on our on yeah. website. I'm pretty sure it's still upstairs in this house. I think it's one of the things that did survive. Yeah. All my movements around the world and you know theft of a few things, unfortunately. But uh, I think I think I've still got that. That that reminds me. It's not quite exactly the same, but I remember the first Star Wars toy I ever got was the Land Speeder. Right. But I didn't have any figures yet, so I didn't have any way to drive it. <laughs> So I had nobody to drive it, but I had the land speeder. So again, the cart pushing the horse kind of thing. It took us a long while 
to actually get off topic of music. But now we're real. But now we're finally, I don't, surprise, surprise, we ended up talking about Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars. I'll wrap it around back real quick. <laughs> I can definitely remember my first CD, yeah. and it was 1987. Okay. Because we, we were in the dorms, and the, the when I when I came to, to the dorms, we might have touched on this before, uh, I just didn't get assigned a roommate that first year. Yes. Or first semester, anyway. So I was kind of in a room by myself. Right. Well, I ended up friend, making friends with the guys two doors down, and we just hung out in their place all the time. And they just had a nice TV set up and everything. Well, the, the, one of the roommates in that room bought his first CD player. And he was extremely picky about it. Yes. At first, he didn't want us to touch us with it, use, use our fingers because it left fingerprints oh, on the buttons. Yeah, oh, dear. He'd say, always use the back of your fingernail. <laughs> then he realized it's making slight scratches. <laughs> so then he told us, oh, stop that. Just don't use Now just use your... So it was, it was almost like that. <laughs> but uh, we did, you know, if carefully, we, you know, we could we had listen to it if he was around and stuff. And I bought uh, Simple Minds Live in the City of Light. Double okay. double CD, right. which is them performing live in Paris. Which, if you remember back, they were my first concert. Yeah, so, oh, first concert yes, and my yes, first CD. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yes, I still have that double disc set to this day. But that was my very first CD. It's funny, purchase. I remember. It's, I remember it being 1987 because I just started working at Greyport, which was the Ferrari dealer in Loughborough, uh, and that was a big moment. I remember walking downtown, knowing that Sergeant Pepper was to be released very very soon and asking for it I'm sure that was 1987 yeah. but uh, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll have a look for that album see if I've still got it it's um, yeah it's and then I remember in the same you know, group of guys they you know a couple of I mean again, you didn't buy them crazy because they were expensive and the two a lot of titles weren't out yet you know uh, I do remember they had uh, one of them bought Hearts Greatest Hits and we listened to that a lot in that dorm room, which yeah. was great. I mean, Barracuda and Dreamboat Annie and Crazy on You. We listened to that a lot. So I remember that kind of being the soundtrack of that semester. Yes. And you mentioned earlier on Blondie, the best of Blondie. And I must say that uh, growing up, Debbie Harry, everybody in England was in love with Debbie Harry. I'm sure everybody in the United States was in love with Debbie Harry. But I do remember one of the concerts I, I remember going to as a, as a young kid, uh, well, fairly teenager in England was to see Blondie. Just fantastic music as well, so popular, really stood the test of time. Yeah, yeah I only saw them that one time, I, I mentioned you when know, we did our concert thing, yeah. I saw them when they re reunited in 97. Yeah, and still and still touring now, I think, right? <laughs> I'm sure I saw something fairly they recently were, on YouTube with Debbie Harry performing. They were on uh, one of like uh, the New Year's Eve Rockin' Eves with Ryan Seacrest like a couple of years ago yeah. or something. So yeah. who knows? Of course, nobody's touring right now at all. But well, no, that's true. <laughs> when they can get back, hopefully they will we'll go back out. Yeah. So. Well, we better think about wrapping this up, haven't we? We've covered another topic. Yes. My timer says it's 39 minutes. I was wondering whether or not we'd go beyond 33 and a third minutes, and we've just managed to do that. Well, we had to put a little <laughs> spindle thing in at one point to make sure the rest of the, the show would air. So. Well, gentle listener, I hope you've enjoyed that. Do write to us if any of those points, which I now can't remember, but if you've got it, oh, jukeboxes, that's what we're talking about. If uh, you have information about that, we'd love to hear from you. And... Um, We'll, we'll, we'll see you again on another episode of Matched and the and the other guy. We better say goodbye, Kevin. We'll see you on the next round. Bye now.